G'day and welcome to the Eloquent in the Room podcast, episode 13. Do I sound a bit strange? (laughs) That's because my brain has left the building and I'm phoning it in. Just kidding. Hey there, it's Rose Cooper. How is everyone? Look, I'm having a very weird couple of weeks. I have to move. And I don't just mean move my body. (laughs) I definitely should do more of that. I mean move, as in move out of where I'm living now and move in somewhere else. And I don't have to tell you how stressful it is to move, do I? Oh my God, I'm going to have to have a really good think about how many times I have actually moved house in my life and then I'll open the next podcast with that information. I just don't have the brain cells to figure it out for you now. (laughs) Um, And also I don't have the brain cells to pursue the series that I had started. I didn't know. This is recent information, me moving. Um, So Adulting Consent, the series, will continue. And I'm very, very happy with those first two episodes on that theme, the two-part interview that I did with Betty Martin. Oh my gosh, I had so much fun and I still feel so good about that. Um, And I've got a lot more American listeners since that went to air. So again, hello to everybody. Hello to everyone around the world. It's also December, which means different things to different people all over the place. It doesn't mean that much to me um, as a holiday I'm not a religious person in any way, shape or form. Um, I do enjoy getting together with family, but uh, the holidays in Australia is the middle of summer. Um, My memory of the holidays when I was a child um, is traumatic, to be honest. Um, (laughs) And I've been married twice, um, so holidays with kids and stuff was about in-laws, and all that sort of stuff. But this year, um, it's going to mean me moving and my son and I are moving out of the small flat that we live in now where we can barely swing a cat, even if we had one. And we're moving in with my other son and his fiance, and they have two cats. So we've got a nice big house that we can swing them from. Um, and... I'll be able to walk outside more than I do right now. Uh, We'll have a pool, so summer won't be too dramatic. Um, But we're doing it to pool resources. Like we're all caught up in this crazy pandemic and we're all creatives and um, the jobs that we had before the COVID thing um, evaporated for various reasons. So we're all just trying to get ahead, you know. Um, So we're pooling resources. We're all moving in together. This is going to be an interesting thing from a family dynamic point of view, but 
it's a good eight years since my middle son and I lived under the same roof. <laughs> um, he has been living a few streets away from me <laughs> over the past two years. So so our relationship is fantastic um, and he's a wonderful creative. He's a musician. He's fantastic. So, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun creatively and so insofar as the Eloquent in the Room project it's going to be cool because I will have access to a water cooler conversation in my house. I will be able to talk to my son, the creative, well, I think he's a genius, um, very creative person um, and bounce ideas around more than I do. I've got an echo chamber in my own little flat here at the moment and um, I don't know, I... I like my little studio in my bedroom. I'm going to miss it. I'm going to be sentimental about it. But, you know, this is the thing. Um, something has changed. Circumstances have changed and we're going to roll with it. It beats the alternative. So listeners are going to roll with it with me too as I take a quick right angle turn <laughs> away from the topic of consent and I... Do what I did last time when I was like, what am I going to talk about now? When in doubt, whip one out. And by that I mean I'm going to pull one of the articles that I do have safely locked away in my hard drive and recite it for you. It's going to be story time. Um, and I thought December's a good time for story time. I'll bring out something that's sentimental, that's a good story, um, that may make you feel warm and fuzzy. I can put on my narrating a story voice, stress, schmess. Let's just all have a nice stretch and take a deep breath and relax and curl up with a cup of tea or glass of wine or whatever you've got going and I will read you this story. It is How I Met my mentor. I published it in my online blog back in 2011 by way of tribute um, because I will be forever grateful for this human being coming into my life. Um, it's a meandering story. It focuses on the fact that um, I was a blogger at the time so I'm going to adapt it on the hop as I read it. Look, I won't try to over-explain it like usual. Let's just get stuck into it and cue the vagina slash vault door sound effect and away we go. Good Will Hunter. I was discussing my new blog with an acquaintance recently. He couldn't quite come to grips with the point of it. What is it exactly, he said. It's a place for me to write whatever I want to write, whenever I want to write it, without anyone dictating to me what to write about or how to write it, I replied in that twitchy, wild-eyed way one gets when they're talking about their artistic passion. Um, what do you write about, he asked, becoming visibly bored already. Oh, life love, sex. It's a place to share my thoughts and experiences so that people, women mainly, can feel better about themselves or at least feel less crazy. By comparison, you're welcome. Okay, fine. But why? He asked incredulously. 
Ah, the conversation ended there because the only way to answer that question properly was to tell the story of Greg. And that story starts here. You see, it's one thing to want to write. It's quite another to want to use your pen. Well, obviously not your pen, but keyboard. Or microphone. Yes, I'm still phoning it in. Whatever. As a knife to cut deep into your emotions and then roll around in the hot, dark, red liquid of your psyche before smearing it all over the page. Well, okay, fine, not page. All over the monitor. Or across the airwaves. Gosh, will you get off my back? Okay, yes, I have got my finger working overtime. For those of you playing at home, that was the vulva owner equivalent euphemism for having your hand on it. But you catch the drift of what I'm saying here, to willingly share one's highs, lows, humiliations, triumphs, agonies and ecstasies, everything that connects us as fallible, fucked up human beings is apparently not something everyone feels compelled to do. <laughs> but I do. And I always have. I just never felt particularly proud of my compulsion until I encountered Greg Hunter. It's odd that I write, really, because I'm not a reader. I don't devour books, but back in the 80s, thanks to my first husband's penchant, which in this case is just a fancy word for addiction, for porn, I discovered Australian penthouse. It was a pretty entertaining and enlightening read back then, believe it or not, but it was Greg Hunter's feature articles that really grabbed me. Greg was not just a clever writer. He was deliciously candid. To read his stuff was to feel like you were getting to know him, and I loved that feeling. In the article about male masturbatory AIDS entitled Autosex, rather than just interview the sex shop owner and random men about their plastic pussy preferences, he secured a selection of state-of-the-art synthetic snatches and took them home to road test them. It was a rollicking good read. <laughs> the trip to and from the shop alone provided very entertaining reading. But it was when he finally got around to describing his close encounter of the rubbery kind that he literally changed my life. The sentence where he described which toy he would choose to um, toy with first literally became the sperm that fertilised the dormant ovum of my creativity. Behold. I selected the sexus optimal because it's cold, clinical, emotionless, Germanic functionalism appealed to me. Is that not one of the most gorgeously constructed sentences slash concepts ever written? Ah, <laughs> oh, fangirl. Um, then there was the tortured but deadly serious piece he wrote about turning 30. He lamented the great sporting feats he would never achieve, the women he would never bone, and pondered whether he had the capacity to say the words, I love you and to accept them with the hard-won knowledge that it's this for which we've all been striving all this time. Hmm, hardly the salacious, soulless marcher ramblings one might expect from a stick book. For younger listeners, that's what we used to call dirty magazines. Stick books. 
Oh, and dirty magazines is what we used to call pornography. It was this particular piece that prompted me to examine more closely the tiny photo of him in the table of contents of that magazine. His facial expression was serious in black and white. He possessed the nose of a former football player and a prominent Adam's apple, a masculine trait I find sexy. And his eyes seemed sincere and soulful. I fell a little bit in love with the guy in that picture. I used to do that sometimes. Fast forward to 1991. Greg became the founding editor of Inside Sport magazine and that same year I was turning 30. I'd just given birth to my second son and I was living in a small town on the New South Wales mid-north coast. I was also fumbling my way through a correspondence course in writing. It was one of those gimmicky courses they advertised in the back pages of magazines offering you a money-back guarantee if you do not recoup your course fees in the sale of published work by the time you complete the course. I left school with mediocre grades in year 10. I had no business thinking I'd ever have any kind of a career doing anything apart from breeding. So this seemingly unrealistic guarantee provided the only means by which I would ever have dared back myself. It was then that I started seriously looking at magazines for my pieces, or my self-indulgent ramblings, let's face it. Coincidentally, I also started reading and becoming inspired by my first husband's subscription to Inside Sport. It was a great read. It then dawned on me that the cricket sex fantasy piece that I'd been kicking around for ages might finally find a home. Hold the phone. Yeah, I used to be a bit of a cricket tragic back in the 80s and 90s during my first marriage. He was addicted to cricket. It was on. I got him to explain how it worked. Then I checked the guys out in their creams and, oh, you know, I'm only human and, you know... I used to just fantasise while we watched it. You know, if you can't beat them, join them. It was a distraction. It was escapism. And I did kind of fall in love with the game. So the awesome side effect of that is my eldest son and I do get together and go to the cricket occasionally. And I'm not apologising. Why am I apologising? I'm not apologising. And it was only then that I realised that the editor was the same guy who had so amused and inspired me a few years previously. I'd become so used to editors returning my manuscripts to me with impersonal rejection letters that I was positively dumbstruck when Greg Hunter telephoned me personally to say my piece had potential, but asked me to work on it further and resend it. I did. Sure enough, he called me again. <laughs> I was inching closer, but then he asked me if I minded him annotating it for me. My story came back covered in lead pencil swirls and scrawled notes. He'd also put big lines through the boring bits. Um, I rewrote it once more and returned it along with a very grateful note telling Greg that I'd lost all objectivity having rewritten the piece so much and I didn't really want to have to write it again. I was <laughs> I was actually writing it on a typewriter um, each time that I rewrote it. I know, right? 
Um, so I said to him, it's now or never. I still can't believe I said it. A couple of days later, the phone rang. The ensuing conversation played out exactly the way I'd been fantasizing it would ever since I popped the manila envelope in the mailbox two days before. He didn't bother announcing who it was. His breathy voice simply uttered the immortal words, Hey Rose, guess what? It's now. I'm sorry, folks. I know that I've been married twice and I've given birth three times and all, but that singular moment was the most concentrated moment of extreme joy in my life to that point. I danced around the house like an idiot for at least two hours. I could not wipe the smile from my face for weeks, my three-page feature article was going to be published in Inside Sport. Ah! <laughs> I still feel a buzz thinking about it in retrospect. It was such a huge moment. A few weeks later, I trekked to Sydney to meet the man who had so thoroughly redefined my opinion of myself. We shared a long boozy lunch... If he was bemused by my humility, I was completely astounded by his. I told him I'd been a huge fan of his work and then knocked him out by reciting the cold Germanic functionalism line verbatim and other bits and pieces off the top of my head like a genuine disciple. Soon the course of our conversation turned to his good friend Corinne, another fabulously talented journo from Penthouse, who went on to become the founding editor of Australian Women's Forum magazine, where I ended up becoming a regular features writer. And without warning, he suddenly began weeping as he described their friendship. I'd never met any man like him before. And so... I became a freelance writer contributing regularly to both Inside Sport and Australian Women's Forum as well as working in their offices. They actually were stable mates, parts of the same publishing house. So I worked casually as an editorial assistant for both magazines. Over the years, Greg continually encouraged my writing and even when he was rejecting pieces, he always included a personal handwritten note reassuring me that I had genuine talent and to not give up. He concluded most of his notes with something along the lines of, sorry, don't have time to kid around, I'm deadly serious. <laughs> that a man of his calibre would take time to not only write to me, but also to sing my praises and G me up and keep me encouraged was something I never, ever took for granted. In return for his kindness, I relentlessly pursued his friendship. He never really quite understood why I'd go out of my way to travel down to Sydney. It was four hours just to enjoy a brief coffee date with him. I was just grateful that he wanted to hang out with me at all. In 1996, an article I'd written for Inside Sport about the annual Australian Ironman triathlon made the shortlist of the inaugural Australian Sports Writer of the Year awards for that year. <laughs> this uneducated housewife really had no business being there alongside these seasoned sport journos. But Greg introduced me to everyone as one of his most talented writers 
and when he left Inside Sport to start other new magazines, he sought me out to be a freelance contributor at his subsequent titles. Then in 2006, I was extremely honoured to be invited to his 50th birthday party where he again introduced me to his friends and colleagues as one of his favourite writers, laughing as he'd add, she actually thinks she's shit, but she is really very good. I got completely hammered at that party and saw the night out with Greg and his best friend at his best friend's house where we engaged in an impromptu, enthusiastic, very loud jam session. (laughs) He again wept as he told me how much his friendship with the lovely Graham Sims, his best friend, meant to him. It's a memory I will treasure forever. I felt like I was among journalistic royalty. (laughs) On New Year's Day 2009, At one hour past midnight, I drunk dialed Greg to wish him a happy new year and I got his voicemail. He texted me back the next day to apologise for being too old to be awake to get my message. In March that year, I texted him to ask for a reference to which he replied, of course, good luck. Two weeks later, I received surprising and very distressing news that Greg had died by suicide. I was numb with shock. I realised... I realised he was subject to melancholia when I thought about those times when he would just start crying out of the blue, but I just thought it made him unique and wonderful. It didn't really sink in. I had absolutely no idea how long or how badly he'd suffered from depression and anxiety. He seemed way too smart and successful. It seemed inconceivable that this would happen to him. I grieved for a very long time. My fortunes as a freelance journalist have slowly dwindled over the years. Um, The internet and society's fixation with diets and celebrity culture all but sapped my inspiration to write at all for any magazine. When I decided late last year, and by last year I mean 10 years ago, (laughs) to write my own blog, I mainly wanted to do so to honour him. I knew I'd get around to writing about him eventually. And that it would not be easy. And it's not easy reading it either. Greg is the reason why I write this blog and why I do this podcast, because he believed in me. Because he believed in me, I believed in myself. In one of our early correspondences, Greg referred to himself as a hard-bitten, hard-drinking, hard-humping, old-school journo. But I came to know him as a funny, kind, sensitive, brilliant, generous and very unique man because he dared to show his vulnerability. And because he did that, I'll constantly challenge myself to reveal mine. I dedicated the blog to his memory and I do dedicate my podcast to it as well. Because you know what? I really did think I was shit, but he convinced me otherwise. 
So that's how that story went. You know, at his funeral, um, I got to catch up with journalists who I knew by name because they also wrote for Inside Sport and other magazines around the traps. And um, more than twice I engaged in deep conversations with journalists who said that he gave them their start and we told identical stories to each other. I don't know if there's many people out there in the industry, whether it's the publishing publishing industry or the TV industry or whatever, who is like that, who spots talent and nurtures them the way he nurtured me. Mind you, a little bit of encouragement with me goes a very long way, which is why I keep asking for feedback. <laughs> um, I do like a bit of encouragement. Um, so, yeah, reading that out was interesting. I didn't want to give away that it was obviously a sad story. Um, I just wanted to not preempt anything and take you with me on that journey. So I hope you enjoyed it. The reasons I am telling this story are manyfold. For starters, um, I do like to continually say that I am a late bloomer as a creative. I didn't really start thinking of myself as having a career and being an artist um, until the age of 30. But this stuff, whatever this stuff is that people have, it was always there. Um, when I left home at 18, I used to write lengthy letters to my family on full scap pages, handwritten, six or seven pages. And um, it was actually my sister hey, Wendy. who sent me the coupon from that magazine and said, I think you should be a writer um, because I just love to pour my feelings out on the page. I used to write poetry and and stuff and then years later became a journalist and then at 40 became an actor and that led to me writing plays and directing plays and um, being a singer led me to picking up a ukulele which led me to writing songs. This is stuff I came into the world with. It was innate creativity that I know that was always there and it can either be coaxed out of you by being inspired by people around you or you can just sit there like I did for most of my life and just thought, oh, everybody wants to do this. I could never do it because I didn't go to university or I, I didn't have um, connections or, you know, all the reasons to talk yourself out of pursuing something that you know deep down is in you to do. So, so there's that, me just sharing the fact that I... I do what I do because I have to. <laughs> it's a feeling inside me. It's an urge. And if you're out there listening to this and you have an urge, be mindful of those urges. <laughs> no, but if you have the urge to be creative, just be creative. Don't tell yourself reasons why you can't or you shouldn't or it's not possible. Just suck it and see. Grab a pen. Start drawing. Start writing. 
Start singing. Start building. Start putting your hands on craft or paint or whatever. Just do it. It's very therapeutic. Which is the other reason for sharing the story. I didn't know I'd get emotional while I read it. But of course, as Betty would say, of course. (laughs) We're human beings. Look, we've got feelings. And it's this time of year where a lot of us are feeling very vulnerable for many reasons. But on the top of the list of those reasons is this is the time of year that we miss people. We miss those we've lost, whether they left this physical world or whether we lost them for other reasons, misunderstandings or the relationship or the friendship just kind of changed and faded away or or came to a dramatic end. But It's the time of year where we really need to stay mindful, not just of our own feelings, but also the feelings of those around us because often the most strong and the most capable people are sometimes (laughs) holding on by a thread. Um, Now, I'm not holding on by a thread, but as I said, moving is a stressful thing, so... I'm vibrating on an interesting frequency and it wasn't the kind of frequency to get stuck into the serious subject of consent. So we have stuck a pin in that. I dare say the next podcast will be another story of some kind, but by that time I will have unpacked a few boxes and um, set up a studio in the house that I'm about to move into with my family. So this will be a family festivus <laughs> for me this year, regardless of whether it happens on the 25th or whatever. I will have a family around me um, in a house for the first time in seven years, which is a nice thing. <laughs> I'm laughing and crying at the same time. Yay for humanity. It's a... It's a fucking cool thing. Embrace your vulnerability. And don't just phone it in. Give it a big squeezy hug. People who have been listening to this podcast since the very beginning know that I often struggle with stream of consciousness talking. I usually have to write things down quite meticulously. I don't trust myself to just be myself and talk. So I just wanted to really spill my guts. (laughs) I lack confidence. Um, I know, right? People often don't see me as lacking confidence, but this little podcast that I've just literally thrown together has had a lot of stream of consciousness talking in it. And I think it's because I'm just going, fuck, I've got to do this. And I remember back in the day when I was a journalist and I had to write something and I had a really strict deadline, I'd write it on no sleep and a big hangover and it was usually some of the best writing I'd ever done. Now, I don't drink anywhere near as much. In fact, I drink hardly at all these days and I am going to talk about that at some stage. It'll either be a podcast or a YouTube. Um, But I've virtually eliminated intoxication completely from my life. I get high on life now (laughs) and masturbation. Um, 
But yeah, this is this is me in the raw. So I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and I do dedicate it to Greg Hunter. I cannot emphasize enough what a big influence he had on me and also the influence he had on sports journalism in the 90s. If you're lucky enough to grab some early issues of Inside Sport, I encourage you to do so. You'll be um, very appreciative of how beautifully he steered that ship. Um, What else? Oh, yes, follow me, subscribe, leave comments, rate, um, share the podcast with all and sundry and go gentle with yourself during this month as I intend to do. But first I have to file this podcast and then get back to packing. So, hmm, what's the best thing I should do right now? I know. I'm going to have a little dance. Care to join me? Talk to you soon.